Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. As we gather today, we are continuing our series that we began just a few weeks ago called Four. There's a caricature of uh, Christians And that is that we are primarily people who are against certain things. But I think that as I look at the followers of Christ that I know, we're not a people who are identified by what we are against, but by what we are for, because there is a God who loves us, who has offered eternity to us. For God so loved Brian. For God so loved David. For God so loved Susan, that he would send his son to die for us. And if that God is for us, there is nothing that can separate us from him. And we are then freed with this incredible privilege of joining him on this mission of taking the good news of Jesus Christ to our neighbors and to our city. And today we're going to continue that conversation about what we are for by talking about what it means for us to be for nations. But before we look at that uh, passage of Scripture together, this passage of Scripture together, um, I want to just make an admission for us. And that admission is this. We are a people who are prone to being overwhelmed. Is that true of you? It's true of me. Uh, We are prone to be overwhelmed. And for some of you, you are living right now, this very moment, you are living in the state of overwhelmedom. And when I, when I say that, how do you know if you're living in a state of overwhelmedom? Let me give you a clue. If you are going to do laundry this afternoon and you load up darks, and after the washing machine begins, you go back to the bedroom and you realize that there is one lone pair of brown socks that you did not get into the wash and it causes you to cry, you are living in overwhelmedom. Just that, that one last thing, that little thing pushes you over the top, Right? And it may not be laundry for you, but you know what I'm talking about, right? You're living just at this state that any one other thing just pushes you over the edge. And not only are there things like that, there are those of us who are living right on the edge of overwhelmedom, uh, but there are also those of us that have a little bit of margin between here and there, but it's not far, is it? You know, you go to work on Monday and the new work assignment, the new project comes out and and you just feel under the pile immediately. You're living on the edge of being overwhelmed. Or you go to school on Tuesday and the assignment comes out for the week and you do not know how you're going to get it done. You feel a little overwhelmed. There's very little margin in our lives between where we live and that point at which we feel overwhelmed. This is true, I think, for most of us in this room. So why do I say that? I say that because we have been in this series called Four, and we began small for our neighbors. And as I said that, some of you, that pushed you over the edge, but you came back, so thanks. Um, But then we moved on to our city, for Norman, and, and you thought, whoa, This is getting tough, but maybe next week. Well, guess what? We're to the nations now, okay? So if you are not feeling overwhelmed yet, guess what? You're going to feel a little overwhelmed just at the concept that somehow our lives connect with what God is doing, not just in our city, not just in our neighborhood, but all over the world. That is an overwhelming thought. And if we're honest, it's overwhelming for all of us. So why are we talking about it? 
Well, we're talking about it because Jesus talked about it. You know, when, when Jesus talked about uh, the mission for his church, he very clearly gave it a scope, which was to all the world, to all the nations. So he set the agenda for us. He defined the scope. So that's why we're going to look at it. And you know what? When I talk about this scope being for the nations, there are some of you who are sitting on the edge of your seat going, absolutely, I'm in. You know, the very first time I, I heard a message on Matthew 28, the verses we're going to look at today, that I remember, I may have heard it before, but the first time I heard this message that I remember, I was a uh, sophomore at the University of Oklahoma, and I was sitting at Dallas Winter Conference with Campus Crusade for Christ. And I can tell you that I was sitting on the edge of my seat, and as this message was being taught, I was going, yes, yes, yes. We will change the world by my 25th birthday. That, that was my thought at that time. But, but now I'm 44, and when I come to this passage, you know what? I feel maybe a little tired, a little, little jaded, because the world still feels similar to how it was when I was 19. And so how do we make sense of this concept of what it looks like for us to be for the nations, and how do we appropriate it inside of our lives? Friends, wherever you sit on this spectrum, this morning is a message for us. Jesus is giving us a challenge. He sees it fit to pass this along to us. So what are we going to do with it? Well, before we, we open up and read these verses and talk about it, I want to make one last statement. The same Jesus who gives this great commission in Matthew 28 is the same Jesus who said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. So whatever is going to come of this passage as we read it today, I think there will come life is found in Christ, and it's for all of us. So let's look at these verses together now. We've got a Bible. Open up to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. The Great Commission that is for the nations. I want to read these verses for us, and then we'll back up and see four things from these verses today. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, the context for these verses we need to look at even before we, we unpack their meaning. The context of these verses is these, this is an event that happened after Jesus' earthly life and ministry, after his crucifixion and after his resurrection. Jesus is going to give some last words, some direction. He's going to give a mission that he's going to pass along to his followers. And it says he passed it along here to the 11. Remember, there were 12 disciples, but one of them was Judas. He wasn't with them at this point. So there were 11 who were left, there were 11 who gathered with Jesus and received this mission that was preserved for us in Matthew's gospel so that you and I might reckon with it today. Because it's the same mission that Jesus still has for the church today. And so with that context, let's look at these verses and see four things for our lives today. The first thing I want us to see is this. This is a call that is to all. It's a call to all. Now, 
I mentioned earlier that there are 11 disciples who gathered with Jesus. And you know, there is a temptation that you and I feel to make these 11 somehow mythologized into superhumans, Navy SEALs of the Christian faith, that somehow they didn't sin like we sinned, or that they had greater understanding than we have. We want to make them super special so that when we make them super special, we, we take the commission that Jesus gives and we say, well, that's a commission that only goes to super special Christians. It only goes to this, this one little core group of Navy SEALs. It doesn't go to all of us. All of us, if we know Christ, we might consider ourselves to be citizens in Christ's kingdom, right? But certainly not a soldier, that's for the, the elite. That's for the special forces. And somehow we, we think that the 11 disciples, that they were super people. They were Navy SEALs. But what's interesting is that's not what the Scripture tells us. What the Scripture tells us is that the disciples were normal people. They were actually struggling to come to grips with what they had just witnessed. Look at what it says in verse 17. It says, they gathered on this mountain, the 11 disciples, and verse 17 says, when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. Now, now, why did they worship him? They worshipped him because they had become convinced that he was the son of God. They, they, had, they had seen him walk on water. They had seen him do these miracles with the fish and the loaves. They'd seen him heal people of diseases. But even more than that, they had just seen him resurrect from the grave. They had, they had just put their hand on his side and felt the wounds. They had become convinced that he was the son of God. So they, they worship him. But this same group of people who had become convinced of Jesus' identity as the son of God were still struggling with what all of it meant in their lives. How do we know that? What does the rest of verse 17 say? When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, what does that word doubted mean? And in the original language, that word doubted actually means hesitated. As they gathered around Jesus, some of them were leaning all the way in, but some of them had questions. Some of them had concerns. Some of them had hesitations about where following Christ was going to lead. Some of them were scared. See, this is not just a group of, of Navy SEALs. This is a group that is representative of you and me. This is a group of people, some of us on the edge of our seats like 1994 me saying, we're going to change the world on my 25th birthday, and some of us like the 44-year-old me who is a little skeptical or has some questions, we're all found in that spectrum. And to all of that group, those that looked stable and secure, the idealists, and those who had the concerns and were hesitating, Jesus speaks to all of them as he gives this commission. Friends, all too often, when we come to a message on the Great Commission, we want to relegate it to somebody else because we assume that this message is for the Navy SEALs Christians in the group. Boy, I sure hope somebody is listening to this because I'm not. I sure hope somebody does something with this because I'm not going to. That's the mentality that sometimes we bring to these passages. And yet, when we come and we look at this, we see that this is a message for all of us. What did we just sing in the, in the last song that, that, we, that we just sang? He came for a hypocrite just like me. He came for a Pharisee just like me. He came for a broken person just like me. And to broken people who gathered around him, he gives the great commission to all of us. This call goes to all. 
Whatever version of you you are today, guess what? This is a message that is for us. Don't write yourself out of the story. The call is for all or to all. Second thing that we see, though, is this. The call is for all. The call is for all. Now, now what is the call? Well, the call is really defined for us in verses 19 and 20 in the Great Commission. Uh, the, the call is for the followers of Jesus to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is the call. Now, inside of that call, really, uh, you may have heard this before, there's, there's one command, and that command is to make disciples. But, but really, I think that's an inadequate understanding of what Jesus was saying. Grammatically, in the construction of this phrase, there really are two things that have the force of a command. Two things, not one. Go and make disciples. In other words, Jesus' call to them could not be fulfilled if they didn't go. The disciples could not stay behind a locked door in the upper room and spent time just with their 11 friends and fulfilled what Jesus was calling them to do. They couldn't stay. They had to go. Why? Because their task was to help other people, new people, more people begin to follow Jesus. That's the idea of being a disciple, a follower of Christ. Jesus' call to them was for them to, to go, to leave the holy huddle, to break and go run the play, and to invite those around them to follow Jesus with them. And the way that they would do that is through these other two little participles that we see here. I know it's like 10.25 in the morning. You're like, why are you getting into all this grammar? It's important, so hang with me, okay? If the command is to go and make disciples... How would we do that? Well, there's these two little participles that help us understand that. One of them is baptizing. We're going to help people follow Jesus by helping them make a decision to follow him. That's the idea of baptizing. To help them decide to find their identity in Christ and what he has done for them. To have the Spirit of God come and mark their soul. This is, this is where it begins. And as we go out, as we interact with those around us, we are helping invite people to find their identity in Jesus Christ. In that identity becomes forgiveness and hope and eternal life. We are to invite people to begin to follow him. There's a decisional aspect of this. But it's more than just inviting people to make a decision. It's to inviting the people who make that decision to then be discipled, teaching them to Observe all that I have commanded you is what Jesus said. See, we're not just to have people make a decision and then say good luck. They make a decision to follow Christ, and then they come around and they help learn what it means to follow him in their daily lives. Friends, this is the mission of the church. And we can't live out that mission by staying behind a locked door, behind a closed door with our 11 close Christian friends. We must go in order to make that mission a reality. You see how that makes sense? And the reason why we must go is because God's intent is not just for this holy huddle, but his intent is that that message would go out for all the nations. Jesus says, go and to make disciples of all the nations. Now, that's this overwhelming, massive scope. And unless we think that they would have understood it and that they would have made sense of it immediately, this was a mind-blowing thing to hear as a first-century Jew. 
You see, though it was God's intention that God would work through the Jewish people to, to bring others from around the world into a relationship with himself, the Jewish people had become very internally focused, especially by this time of Jesus. And the disciples grew up in an environment where they thought that their role was to live out this holy life inside of the borders of their nation so that anybody who walked through that nation would see how they lived out their life and would be curious about their God. But if they weren't curious or they didn't stop or they didn't ask any questions, it really didn't matter to them. This was the world that the disciples were living in. We see that played out in how they tried to shuffle away from Jesus anyone who was not from a Jewish background. It makes sense of why they would spend even a couple of decades after Jesus' resurrection, even after this command, before they finally came to grips with the mission to take the gospel to the entire world. They grew up in a, in a perspective that when Jesus said this, they were thinking, you mean we're supposed to go to people that don't speak our language, that don't understand our scripture, that have a different worldview, that have other gods that they worship? We're supposed to go to them and share this message? It just didn't make sense to them. And yet Jesus is very clear that the message of life change and hope and forgiveness was not a message that was relegated only to the Jewish people, but it was for the nations. Thankfully, eventually they got it, and they went to the known world that they knew at that time, and they shared the good news of Jesus, and guess what? It didn't stop there. The people they reached kept going, and it kept going for decades and centuries and millennia, until eventually missionaries decided to take the good news of Jesus Christ to this continent. Men like George Whitfield and John Wesley and Francis Asbury, David Brainerd, went out into the world that we now call home and told the people that they encountered of the hope that was found in Jesus Christ. And friends, because of that, because of that legacy, you and I have heard about Christ. And because we have heard about Christ and because Jesus' commission doesn't have an expiration here, we are to continue this process. That's why as a church, we're always continually asking the question, where does God want us to go? And our boundaries are not limited by Cleveland County. Certainly we are for our neighbors. Certainly we are for our city, but we are also for the nations because Jesus is for the nations. That's why we're able to partner in ministries in Mexico, in Nicaragua, in Brazil, in Latvia, in Bosnia, in the Middle East, why we're interested in college students on campuses in East Asia would have the opportunity to learn to follow Christ. Why are we helping to translate scripture in these countries around the world? Why are we inviting people to plant churches in these parts of the world? It's because Jesus said it's for the nations. Lest we get overwhelmed, it's not just a task that's given to all of us. God didn't say, okay, David, change the world by 25. He says, hey, the body of Christ will be at work until Jesus returns, taking the gospel to the nations. We get to play just a small part in what God is doing. That's why as a church, we don't just stop continue to dream and think and plan. Our global outreach team right now is dreaming and thinking and planning. Our elder team is gathering and dreaming and thinking and praying and planning, thinking about our next opportunities. And we're super excited in 2018 to lay out some of the things that God is doing. But the reason why is because Jesus has set the agenda. He set the scope. He's invited us to be a part of it. He's invited you to be a part of it. 
If you're looking for ways to find out about what God is doing in the world and how you can connect, again, I mentioned this last Sunday, but we have this little text group, Outreach 18, text that to 95577. If you do that, you would get a monthly update, a newsletter on some ways that you can get involved in what God is doing in the world. See, the first thing we see is that this call goes to all. The second thing we see is that the call was for all. It's for the nations. But the third thing that I think it's important that we see here is that this is the call with all. It's the call with all. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is what Jesus says in verse 18. In verse 18, it says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, when we talk about taking the gospel to the world, have you ever thought, that sounds a little arrogant? Ever thought, you know, who are we to go to people that grew up in a Muslim background or a Hindu background or Buddhist background and to tell them about Jesus Christ? Who are we to do that? That seems a little arrogant for us. You know, in, in 2018, in, in the world in which we live, that is the dominant worldview that is, that is placed at Christians when we talk about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And so, is it arrogant, is it wrong for us to have the perspective that this message of Jesus applies not just to those who grew up in a Jewish or a Christian environment, but those that grew up in any environment whatsoever? Well, Jesus answers the question for us, doesn't he? Look, Jesus answers the question by saying that all authority... All legitimate authority, Jesus says, is given to him. He's got it. Therefore, for him to make statements about the world are legitimate because of who is making it, the one who has all of the legitimate authority. Well, where do we, we see this? We see it played out throughout Scripture. One of the places where we see the authority of Jesus played out is the fact that he created the world. Genesis 1, John 1 Colossians 1, all places that talk about the world is created by Jesus and for Jesus. Through his agency, through his work, the earth has come into being. Not only did he create it, but also he is recreating it. In Revelation chapter 21, 5, it talks about the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new. Jesus is not just tied to our past, but he's absolutely tied to our future. Not only that, but in, in between that span, he has redeemed humanity. He has redeemed the inhabitants of the earth. Romans chapter 5 and verse 18 talks about how through the, the acts of the one righteous man, Jesus, the many might be made holy, might be forgiven. Not only has he redeemed humanity, but also today he sits in heaven. And you know what Jesus is holding today in heaven? The deed to the earth. When we see in Revelation chapter 5, the, the Apostle John goes and has a vision of heaven. And in heaven he sees this, this scroll, it's the deed to the earth. And John begins to cry because it looks like the earth has no owner. Who's going to bring justice to the earth? Nobody can hold that scroll. And the angel comes over and says to him, hey John, don't worry. The Lamb of God, he's the one who could open that scroll. In heaven today is a picture of Jesus' ownership of the earth. He holds the title he holds the deed. It's his earth, friends. It's his earth. It is absolutely appropriate for us to think of salvation only in Christ because this is his world. This is his place. You know, think of it this way. If you leave this morning and you go home and somebody else is in your 
apartment, your dorm room, or your house that you didn't invite and that you don't know? Is it appropriate for you to ask them to leave? Yeah. Is it arrogant for you to ask them to leave? No. Why? It's your house. You hold the title. You have the rental agreement. It's your place. It's appropriate for you to say that. If you were to go home, and let's say it's even somebody that you know, but they decided to paint your house mauve, every room, just mauved them everywhere. Is it arrogant for you to, to paint it a different color? Absolutely not. Why? It's your house. Friends, what we see in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that this is Jesus' world. Therefore, when he makes a statement of authority and when he sends us out to the nations, we can go in confidence because we're living in his world. The call to all, the call for all, the call with all. And lastly, this is super important for us to see. Let's intentionally change our perspective. Now, friends, this idea is an idea that I took away from a trip I took to Israel uh, last fall. It's kind of my, my primary takeaway. In, 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 on this trip, there's a little throwaway detail, seemingly, in chapter 28, verse 16, that God just had come alive on that trip for me. And it has to do with the setting. It says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So the disciples go to Galilee. Now, that's always been just a little throwaway fact, right? But what's significant about that? Well, let's look at the map. Here's a map of, of Israel. Very bottom part of that map will circle the city of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is significant for a lot of reasons, but in the case of this story, Jerusalem is significant because that's where Jesus was crucified. That's where he was resurrected. That's where the disciples first saw him. They were in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus tells them to go to the mountain in Galilee. That's all the way up in the north. We don't know exactly which mountain, but it was all the way in the north. Now, that was a, a distance that would have been difficult to travel and would have taken about a week to go up there. Now, let's think about this. Not only did Jesus have them go to Galilee to get the Great Commission, but after that, where, was G, where did Jesus ascend back to heaven? Well, he did that just outside of the city of Jerusalem. So, one week up and one week back. Why did Jesus have the disciples move that much? I mean, all of these events took place over about 40 days. It seems terribly inefficient, right? For them to spend that much time walking up and back just to get this message. I mean, he could have given it to them in Jerusalem. Guess what? He did give it to them in Jerusalem. But why does he have them go all the way up to Galilee? Well, people have, have posited a number of ideas for why this is. Sometimes people have wondered, well, maybe they went there because that was kind of their hometown. You know, the disciples were from, from Galilee. He just wanted to have a slice of pizza with them at their favorite local pizzeria before he ascended back into heaven. They went back home. Another idea is that they went up there to escape uh, some, some possible persecution, what, let the, the heat blow off back in Jerusalem. And those are possible, but I don't think they're most probable. I think there's a very strategic reason why Jesus had them go to Galilee. And, and here's why. Do you know what you can see from a mountaintop in Jerusalem? Jewish people. That's what you can see. You, you know how many countries you can see from a mountaintop in Jerusalem? One, Israel. 
But Jesus gave him the commission to go to all the nations, and where did he give it to him? Up in Galilee. You know what you can see from a mountaintop in Galilee? Friends, you can see the world. We were standing on a mountaintop in Galilee looking around, and our, our uh, Jewish guide said, over there, that's Jordan. You can see that. There, that's, that's Syria. You can see that. Over here, there's Lebanon. You can see that. And it hit me. Why did Jesus take them to the north? He took them to the north to Galilee because from Galilee their perspective could change. They needed to see the world because Jesus wanted them to change the world. When you're standing on a mountaintop in Jerusalem, you cannot see a major road that internationals would take. But guess what you can see from a mountaintop in Galilee? You can see the Via Maris, the way of the sea. This was I-35. This was I-40. It was the road that connected Egypt with Damascus. It was where people went that were traveling great distance through that country. It was where the Gentiles walked. Jesus takes them to a mountain in Galilee so they could see the world walking by, so they could see the highway that would take them to the nations. And Jesus said, I want you to go up there. I'm going to give you this commission so that you will have the visual and the understanding that I don't want you to stay behind the locked door anymore. I want you to go to the world. And friends, as we gather here today, we need to remember that Jesus wants our perspective to change as well. And the way that we grasp this perspective of the world, we have to be intentional in expanding our vision. What are some of the ways that we can do that? One of the ways we can do that is by following along with one of our missionary partners. Wildwood has missionary partners all over the world. And out at the gathering hall at our outreach fair right now, there's a table that says connect with one of our missionaries. There are handouts inside of notebooks that detail some of the people that we have serving around the world. Go out there today, flip through it, find somebody that you can begin to pray for, think about, correspond with. As I get email interactions with our friends in Bosnia and our friends in the Middle East, it's impossible for me to have a God that is just tribal and local. I'm reminded that he is a global God with a global mission. And he's involving people that I knew that sat right here in these rows and are now serving over there. And we have the privilege of praying for them and sending finances and all the things that we can do. Friends, one of the ways we can expand our vision is by being connected to some of our missionary partners. A second thing that we can do is consider going on a mission trip. Sometimes there's, there's no better way to blow our vision up. Jesus intentionally takes them to a mountainside that we might take a little bit of our time to take a trip to another culture, to another place, to have our mind expanded just a little bit. Wildwood's got at least two trips that are coming up this year. One to Latvia with our teaching pastor, Bruce Hess, to be a part of an orphan camp there. And they're recruiting people right out at the mission trip table in the gathering hall. We'd love to have you go with us this summer over there. There's, if you're a high school student, we've got folks going down to Nicaragua to work by, with one by one down there. But there's some opportunities to just expand your vision with mission trips. Or a third possibility is just to, just to think differently about the news. You know, we live in a, an information-saturated world. You know, yesterday, I, I see the headline that says that there's a, a, an ambulance that blew up in Kabul, killing 100 people. You know what my first response is? This is not pretty. My first response was, well, I'm glad it wasn't Oklahoma City. I'm glad it wasn't New York. What a callous thought, right? 
thinking of this message and this idea, it's like, no, that those are human beings that are within the scope of the plan of God. I need to pray for those people, pray for their families, pray for the church in that area to take, get the gospel to those who are affected. One of the ways we can get involved is by, by praying. Friends, we're invited to participate in this mission. And lest we get overwhelmed, we're invited to do it together. And not just with each other, but with God himself. Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship. Thank you for your truth and your word. Father, that we would be a, a people who would hear your call. And Father, though it is overwhelming to us in the flesh, that you would let us know what the next step is for us. Hypocrites and sinners, just like those of us in this room, you have chosen in your grace to involve us in your mission, that we would say yes and take a first step this year. In Jesus' name, amen.